Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Kyle Busch won the season opener at Talladega. DeGroot was second. He's the reigning champion. It's the iRacers Download, where reality meets the virtual world of auto racing. Cardwell hoping it stays green. He nearly spins it around. Who's it going to be, Cardwell, Berkeley, or someone else? iRacing's executive director, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think that NASCAR is starting to see the value and the opportunities that can present themselves working with iRacing. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass. Here are your hosts, Justin Prince and Taylor Burris. Hello and welcome to another edition of the iRacers Download from the SpeedSport Podcast Studio, powered by My Race Pass. Taylor Burris here along with Justin Prince. And Justin, one thing I got to touch on briefly, we are closing in on our 100th episode. So very exciting for us, I have to say, here pretty soon. Very exciting, first of all, and second... It felt like that's flown by, to say the very least, over the past couple of years or so at the very least. It's been a it, very busy time. It certainly has, and think about all of the amazing people we've had on the show, all the amazing guests, all the amazing news that we've talked about for the past couple of years, first and foremost. We're going to have a special edition for our 100th episode as we get closer to that, but uh, we just thought briefly to touch on that as we get closer and closer to the big 100. But on that note, Justin, a lot of news in the world of iRacing to touch on with the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series heading to Talladega this past week. Also news for some brand new updates for both the dirt side, a little bit of content release possibly still planned and announced, and also some really big news involving some very, uh, what would be the proper word? Not surprising, but also possibility of some big changes in the world of esports and sim racing yeah there's a lot to touch upon on the latter point but once we get to that point that discussion may or may not get itself to a pretty heated spot but let's go towards a very intriguing race to start off the discussions this week the enascar coca-cola i racing series the race sponsored by wendy's heading to talladega super speedway for the sixth race the campaign and what was an intriguing race, first of all, from the reason of the first Coke race in at least any memory of it being in a fixed race. In fact, in a points-paying race, the fixed race, the big biggie bag $5 presented by Wendy's came down to what was described as skill and determination. Put it simply, it was the decision of where do you find your friends and when do your friends decide I want to get the win for themselves? That was the way Malik Ray found things out when Casey Kerwin, coming down the front straightaway, took the chance to take the checker flag to pick up the victory. 
It was a very interesting and exciting race, and the thing is, there was multiple different leaders as expected when it comes to racing here at Talladega. We had drivers such as Zach Novak up at the front of the field, Graham Bolin led a total of 10 laps, but some drivers that we were surprised to see who worked their way up toward the front of the field were drivers like Casey Kerwin and Malik Ray. Colin Bowden, another one of the t drivers who ran it at the podium, had strong runs all throughout the race. But the question was, when everyone coming into this event, is how was a fixed setup going to come into play? And honestly, Justin, it really showcased that it was basically on driver skills all throughout that event, even though it was, yes, a super speedway where we could make any guess who would come out on top. Yeah, that's the major thing. It was still a super speedway, first of all, so it's more of an equal footing on a fixed setup, or even open to fixed setup in general. But the second thing is... Super Speedway Racing is a special type of skill where it requires the amount of precision, feel, as well as luck, determination, being able to find the right timing for runs, knowing how to find every bit of speed from the cars, being careful on not just the bump draft of a competitor in front, but in some of the cases with action cars, having to push two competitors at the same time to keep the momentum up on the line or else you have the radio exploding. So it was an intriguing one to say the very least. Noticing and have read into a report actually that Racer put up involving that discussion, for example. Some drivers, mind you, have that support for fixed racing. Some have said that in the past, like second place finisher Malik Ray, Colin Bowden joining the fight in terms of that argument for fixed racing recently is April the 20th after that respective race because of the time commitment. It's an interesting discussion because, again, it's a series where you're racing for $100,000 plus, and it takes a lot of time commitment to have the speed for the championship. At the same time, if you're not a part of one of the main core groups that have that ability to build throughout the course of a two-week interval between races, or even the back-to-back, -back, it's to where it's the haves and haves-nots, and that's where I think some of the equalization play may come in here, and why that's popping up again, and why it's been experimented, I think, with Talladega. And it's really going to be a possible step in the right direction. Now, I know some drivers and some teams and some either those who are working their way up into the NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series might have had some questions and concerns regarding that. But who knows? We could possibly see this work out. Personally, for me, I don't know. I mean, it kind of takes away from those who work hard to build those setups to be able to test and practice for weeks ahead of these events. That's my honest opinion. And plus, if you think about it, that's what these NASCAR teams in the real life do. So we'll hopefully see how this works out as it goes on. But honestly, it, it's a matter of just putting in the time and the effort to showcase your talent as well as also testing and practicing that's something I, I kind of feel like makes it the series, as well as any of our World Championship series, so unique and special. And that's the toughest part, too, because Bounded actually threw in the idea of trying to find a way to limit the practice drivers can do. And here's the tough part. How do you limit the amount of testing a driver can do? Because, in theory, part of the appeal of iRacing is, and especially for some of the real-world drivers... You can test and run races as much as you want to prepare for some of your events. How do you then go about saying to your virtual pro drivers, hey, we only want you to run X amount of races per week. 
X amount of test sessions with X time limit on them or hours, etc. That's not an easy thing to even regulate. So, and he's edited as such in that report mentioned. So again, it's toughest part on how you actually, first of all, go that way. Second, and this is the more difficult part, how do you go about it to where you switch to a fixed format in terms of fixed setups from an open built-up series in terms of an industry or rather a series built on, in many cases, those partner groups and respective technical alliances who built setups for the past 10 plus years. What do you say to those who, in some cases, are paid just to build the setups and work on the crew chief box and make the adjustments during the race? There's so many different layers that you have to unpack when thinking about this. And not only that, Justin, but this, it, like you said, it messes up a ecosystem when it comes to the drivers. But also, if you want to go look at the other side of it, and, you know, this opens up the door for maybe anyone to go in and race in this championship, which is a possibility of what iRacing wants is to bring up more drivers to try and compete in these championships to maybe bring in some new faces. But honestly, that's not the case. And it could be the reason why we only see a select group of drivers go in and race in the qualifying series, who then make it into the pro series, who then make it into the Coke series or the contender series, who then make it into the pro series. So we'll see how it plays out. But honestly, yeah. I say not, let's not change anything like this. Like, I understand yeah. why they did it, but why change it? That's the point I'm thinking about because I agree in terms of a change in the packing order of drivers. Like, I think drivers like Malik Ray, who have been very vocal about this in the past, wanting to go fixed, might be one of those who benefit because here's the thing. He's one of those who races a ton of fixed races on the iRacing service. Including, in fact, Colin Bowden, seen him fair bit in the fix. More so Casey Carlin, who does a ton of top split competition, fixed exclusively in the NIS competitions with these respective cars. Wyatt Tinsley grew through the ranks amongst the fixed races. Colin Keister have seen him throughout some of the NS. Michael Guest raced a ton in the past in NIS fixed competition. Garrett Mains, the multiple-time NIS fixed champion. Here's the thing. Amongst those, even at Talladega... Some of your top finishing drivers in the top 15 made their way to the platform by running tons of fixed races over the years when they weren't wanting to race in the open side in between their Coke races or in some of the cases, that's where they built up their I-rating to then qualify in open setups. So there's the underlying factor. You change the entire pecking order to where those going to the ranks in fixed be your front runners and that moves a lot of people back who do not race fixed. And that includes some of your top veterans in the series. It really does. So we'll have to see how it plays out for the drivers as the season progresses. Of course, with Casey getting that win, that guarantees him a chance to defend for his championship that he received in 2022. Moving him up to P4 in the championship. Of course, Michael Conti is still your points leader by 10 points over Nick Ottinger. Then it's Bobby Zelensky, Casey Kerwin, Graham Bolin, your top five. The next round of the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series heads to Sin City at the Mile and a Half Trial at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Tuesday, May the 2nd. Catch the action at 9 p.m. Eastern on enascar.com forward slash live and on iRacing. It should be interesting to see how the next race plays under that mark, but keep in mind, 
In regards to iRacing side of things, some adjustments came into play recently. In fact, April the 20th, it was discussed by iRacing itself and Tony Gardner. And it's at iRacing about that respective patch referred to, Patch 4 Season 2. And that respective patch, mind you, touched upon a lot of dirt refreshes. And as well, plans to ship in June some refreshes on top of the additional patch that was released to the iRacing platform. First, in terms of the patch side of things, more so some adjustments to the Mercedes-AMG GT4 involving its ABS system. That will change how the car, in turn, potentially handles, as well as some of the different features like force feedback, getting some tweaks, etc. The bigger thing is what's in the pipe. By June, it's expected to have updates to the water content for soil, which means differences in dry or slick, the changes to the dirt surfaces in the tire, the changes to variations in track preparation, track bumps, variation scaling as is described, as in thinking of the size of the water truck that actually waters the track, as well allowing just about every stock car to be able to race more so on dirt, where every oval that races on dirt was either tuned to either tires, physics, or both, and in turn, introducing tire wear to the Dirt Lake model, which just so happens, Taylor, to be the first of the world championships coming up. And this is a great opportunity for testing out all of these brand new features, as you pointed out. And, of course, all of these cars, including, of course, the Dirt Late model, but also even the current NASCAR Cup cars, trucks, and the Arkham Menards Impala, as well as also the off-road trucks with the Pro 4s, the Pro 2s, and the Pro Light. So it's going to be interesting to see how this will play out. And, of course, like you said, with the tire wear, with the new tire models here, that's going to be introduced for those late models. Very interesting to see how this strategy will play out. And also, some new damage model enabled for all the late models. Keep in mind, it's not only just the dirt side that we've discussed, but they would mentioned the pipeline for potential updates in terms of, or in terms of, new content coming up. They did confirm that in the past week, the iRacing service and the respective scanners traveled to Italy to scan not only Mugello, but also Misano. So two new Italian circuits coming up on the docket, as well as the release potentially of Kern County later this year with a dirt and oval variation to that respective track because that Kern County Speedway facility has both a dirt facility and a pavement track. And, you know, with Kern County coming on board, this opens up a big opportunity for the West Coast drivers who yeah, race in the really dirt and the asphalt uh, short track scene because Kern County has been putting on some exciting racing over the past decades and used to be an important track for NASCAR West Coast racing in the early days. And I know it's one that fans have wanted to be able to race at, but also Dale Jr. has been a major supportive of in that respective scan, as well as a couple other circuits coming through the pipe, rumored-wise. I'm curious again how it's going to play out, but by June, I think it's going to be another busy time with the new updated builds in respect to not just the dirt side, but also seeing what else makes its way to the platform and joins that wave of respective content coming up, especially in that respective update. And intriguingly enough, it's more so a follow-up when you think about it to what was talked about in depth with the tire model and some of the scans you know, as far back as February with some of the respective projects they've been putting in from that time were mentioned. Remember, they mentioned tracks like Zanvor back in February. This adds that extra layer of 
adding to the dirt side on top of Kern County, on top of more Italian circuits, on top of not just North American-based racetracks, but expanding worldwide because that's the thing. iRacing is a global platform. It really is. I mean, of course, you can think of how many Australian circuits that are in the pipeline coming on board. All the European tracks, Mizano, Mugello, Portimao, Algrave. I mean, you're looking at several major European circuits coming on board. All these dirt tracks and short tracks that are aboard here in the United States and even around the world. Look at Australia. It has multiple major dirt tracks that are for the taking for iRacing. And we could see the possibility of those ones coming on board for iRacing in the near future. And then, of course, the big announcement with rain back in April. They posted some new photos. So you got that possibility coming into the June build. And then also the release of the LMP3 car, which is talked about. So June, you know, we always say each build is always going to be the big one, the one we're excited for. This build in June could be one of the, if not the biggest build in recent memory, I think the closest, biggest one recently was the release of the BMW LMDH car. Before that, it was probably the Formula One release cars. So, you know, you're looking at a really good couple of years that iRacing has done with builds, with improvements to the system, improvements to the service, and even great content. I'm very intrigued again how this all plays out, but again... It's going to take months to be able to see everything come to fruition. That's going to be the major key part in all this. Speaking of things coming to fruition, why don't we talk about the eNASCAR qualifying Road to Pro iRacing Series. RTP qualifying action. That taking place in the past week. The last time out for the iRacers download. Drivers were getting ready for their runs over at Bristol Motor Speedway. But that single pit road, not on the dirt, but on the concrete. As it's round one. That's to be expected in regards to drivers not running on the dirt in the first round. That likely the second round. But in turn, set the merchants to the points leader by nearly 200 points over Michael Frisch, Kenny Brady, Agnel Philp, Logan Hilton, the top five. The separation amongst the top three, just over 300 points. Intriguingly enough, though, when it comes to that race at Bristol and the races in turn at Bristol... Lots of discussion coming in about potential attrition. Lots of discussion about how do you pass. Lots of emphasis on qualifying, especially an SOF of 7,265 for just running in top split. Gray Alfala beating Kenny Humphy. That's a name we haven't heard in years for the win in a nine-caution affair at Bristol. You're talking about two former series champions going at it and for the win and of course Alfala finally getting back to victory lane in e-nascar competition very exciting to see him back up on the top step set the merchant in third in top split competition over christopher pfeffer and blake scrockford one of the top drivers in open competition for c fixed in the last year top five part of ese for reference second split daniel eberhardt putting up the victory two tenths over jackson crowder Dalton Collins, Anthony Burroughs, Jonathan Delaney. Rounding up the top five there. Third split, that being an SOF of 6,000 for that respective race. Christopher M. Hill, Eddie Kerner. The Tweety Bird with the construction helmet. Timmy Pacioli, Trenton Lapsovich's second account because it's iRacing. And Hunter Johnson rounding up the top five. So some of the short track racers coming out to play. Some with their second accounts in the case of Trenton Lapsovich. <laughs> it was exciting to see those drivers do battle. Of course, the next round we head to the 
Hungry Monster Mile at Dover Motor Speedway. That will be happening a little bit later on in the season. This will be, I believe it's going to be the week of April 27th as the calendar shows. So yes, the week of April 27th is when the action will kick off for these drivers for 120 laps. Dover should be intriguing. It should be a one-stopper based on the distance. But remember, Dover's also a place where blown tires are common. Meaning that, going to be very critical to save tire. Going to be very critical to not push too hard, but also not under-push. Because if you don't push hard enough, you end up being five seconds behind the race leader at minimum. To the point where you can't close up five seconds in the course of the run as well. As we both know, strategy there is so critical. One of the major talking points with Dover, go as far as you can in the past to make sure you kept the freshest tires towards the end, but also don't time up the stop wrong. There's going to likely be a lot of discussion on how do you plot this out lap-wise, especially when the run has a give-or-take window of about 15 laps to between 60 and 65, or 75, should say, before you really have to run a, or risk running out of gas, or rather... Risk blowing the tire out. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy and chaotic here where you have to be careful of setting this up for racing action. And we'll see how this plays out as they get move on to the next round. Catch it on multiple different streaming for your major top, I would say top what, top three splits, Justin, is what they mostly broadcast. Yes, indeed. Top three splits are indeed broadcast with their split between FDF when it comes to top split competition. Know that LSR TV and FTN. That is Fireball Talks NASCAR for third split competition. In the respect to the middle split, just want to triple check that respective coverage because that has been a double checking point. That is currently FDN and LSR, I should say. Third split is YJ Media. Rather, FDN and LSR TV is second split. YJ Media is third split. Copy that. Well, we'll catch all those actions on Thursday, February the 27th for that action. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we will have more to discuss, including some interesting news regarding a, I would have to say, a rival company, Motorsports Games, and the opportunities that iRacing could possibly have in play. You're listening to the iRacers download from the SpeedSport Podcast Studio, powered by MyRacePass. Welcome back to the iRacers download from the SpeedSport Podcast Studio, powered by MyRacePass. Taylor Burris here along with Justin Prince, and... Justin, this made some big headlines here a couple of days ago. Effective April the 19th of 2023, Stephen Hood is now the Motorsports Games CEO, while Dimitri Kozko has been able to or was asked to step down immediately, but he will continue to direct as help find fresh investments, as reported from Traction GG. This here has been big news because not only has motorsports games been in big trouble with their employees, but also they're starting to get in trouble with major companies such as NASCAR and IndyCar for their delays and also their not-so-great content that they have already released in the past two years. I mean, first of all, finally. Second, when you released... How many games have they released? One? And the rest are all licensed from either other companies or from previous IPs they picked up, like the NASCAR Heat franchise and ports. Can you really say you have a game company with one release in, what, two to three years? 
Well, honestly, Justin, I don't even consider them a game company because they didn't even finish the first game, honestly. They're, I mean, we see Matt NASCAR Ignition as one of the worst NASCAR games to date. And that's saying a lot because there has been some not-so-great NASCAR games released over the past decade. But yet, here we see this new NASCAR game, Ignite, and it's absolutely garbage. It's so many bugs, so many different things, and NASCAR fans are not happy. I mean, stock stakeholders are not happy. Just a few days before this announcement, mind you, their stock dropped 30% in the span of a month. A stock that, mind you, already had seen significant drops in the first place. So it's not looking good for them. And here's the major thing. There are lots of different standard reports on what everyone's going to do now. Even before the announcement of who was stepping in and who's stepping down and whatnot. There were so many scatter reports about just the NASCAR side because, again, one of the major critical parts of growing a spam base is having a video game that's accessible and is good. And when your last accessible and good game in some people's eyes is 2003, that's a problem. That's a big problem. And that screams something has to be done. You can't just sit on an IP either and say... Okay, we're going to extend it to whenever a couple of years later. Here's the problem. Yes, it's good for quality purposes. Take time on a new IP. But in the case of some franchises, especially like NASCAR fan bases, they're dying for a yearly release. At this point, I don't... It, the whole thing just... It drove me crazy from the start, especially with some of the different agreements in terms of the licensing side. It still drives me crazy now. Something has the shoes starting to drop, but the problem is, when does it land? But you know what? This opens up a opportunity for our amazing friends at iRacing because of how they have already started doing console games with their purchase and acquisition of monster games. And so far with their release of the World of Outlaws, that has had good praise. So my question to you, Justin, is do we see iRacing approach NASCAR and even IndyCar to say, look, we see you're upset with motorsports games and, you know, try to work out the contract situations to where Monster Games and iRacing build the next NASCAR and IndyCar games. Could we see that happening in the future? IndyCar, from what I've read through the media and what I've heard from various others that I won't name because... I don't think they'll be allowed to be even speaking on this, Mark. It seems to be where IndyCar might be willing to stay the course and see what happens. But I, it's more so the NASCAR side, I think, is the concern. Because, again, you're talking a whole, about a whole demographic that NASCAR fans have been craving for that needs to be filled. And the tough part is, who fills it? And that's the toughest part. The last time the IP of NASCAR Heat was active with Monster Games, fans didn't necessarily like that either, Taylor. So it there's so many different layers you have to think about at this point. And it's it's a difficult question. And there's so many different ideas and thought processes. I will say this in terms of who stepped in in place. For Dimitri Kosko, 
it is somebody that does have experience on the motor in terms of video games from Codemasters in that respect, that specifically going the direction of Stephen Hood. But the difficult part, in my opinion, is he already served as a stint as the president of the company for three years. And we've seen what happened the three years they were in charge in the first place. He was around in the first place, rather, before going to the sim grid. Yeah, so that's why I really don't have any high hopes for Stephen Hood either. I mean, if you think about it, all the motorsports game has really done is try and take up all of the major motorsports, excluding Formula One, and basically try to lock them all in into a certain licensing agreement to where it divides the community. And that could be a big, and it's been a big problem already. We saw it with the IndyCar issues with iRacing and our factor and the IndyCar game. We see the issue with it with NASCAR, with how their games are not doing too good. And even we also see it with the Lamar Virtual Series with our factor, you know, taking over the quote unquote official title of the World Endurance Championship and 24 hours of Lamar to where we can't utilize it in iRacing and other platforms that utilize the same tracks and car combos. And, you know, that's the problem when it comes to these licensing agreements to where it's, you know, quote unquote, the official, you know, no one else can do it. And we faced that problem a while ago with Porsche. Thankfully, that, you know, agreement has been broken for several years now. But still, could we see another break in agreements to where we no longer will have to deal with this type of, you know, full term agreements? It feels like we're a couple months away from that point, to be honest with you. It be, with the different financial losses, $32 million. You, how do you lose $32 million and release nothing is the first question. Where I can think of some things. <laughs> I mean, second of all, in that respective regard, in terms of exclusivity versus non-exclusive, the argument has been out there by plenty, and I kind of tend to agree with this logic of when it's exclusive, it's good in terms of the business side, in terms of you have an exclusive right to an IP or a series or a brand or whatever. But at the down, on the downside of that is it holds back innovation because you have no competition. The argument in many cases is competition drives innovation. And when you have no competition, where's the motivation to innovate? You can sit down and have that respective core and knowing you're the only option, why do you need to fully revamp something year on year? You have competition on an equal footing, not like different footings, mind you, where you have a big player and then the tiny little IP that gets a license. You put them equal footing with equal backing in terms of strength behind it. That's where innovation lies. Think, for example, to the days where you had what's now 2K Sports and EA Sports with Football games. That was an innovative time where both teams tried to battle back and forth before EA got the exclusivity rights back in around the mid-2000s. And we've seen where that's gone. We've seen that in the past when it comes to soccer games with the battle of innovation for several years. And some of the ideas coming from that. From basketball, even, for a few years, where they went back and forth on who was the production company, or rather not production company, who was the leader of the production staffs, where one, they hired him back and forth 
before 2K in turn ran away when EA fell off a cliff. And we see even that on the 2K side sometimes it's now starting to plateau in most years, and until at least honestly until last year in my opinion, when they brought back something to bring new buyers in when it came to the my GM eras or my NBA eras. So to be honest with you, innovation comes from the competition. You need competition to drive that motivation for a company to create growth and continue to update. Otherwise, if you're the only person in town, where's the motivation outside of getting them in the door and then making sure they can't get out of it? Well, hopefully, you know, we've seen some other news regarding a certain date. I believe it was September 30th regarding motorsports games. So... Unfortunately, time will tell to see how this will play out for the entire sim racing and esports community and even gaming community for the racing industry. And all I can say is the rest of this year, we're going to see some big changes that will, I would have to say, change the entire world when it comes to sim racing and esports and racing games, period. And I'll say this, hopefully... We see the changes sooner. But again, that's not up to us. That's more so up to the companies. That's up to the sanctioning bodies. That's up to how they do this because, again, you have a written contract. It's the difficult part of what do you do from here on out. Sanctioning body to sanctioning body. NASCAR, IndyCar, etc. It's up to them. It's in their court. More so at this point before anything else a race that's the current viewpoint now what comes up through the pipe in the next couple months we'll see if that changes that agree and hopefully it will work for the better for the entire community because you know let's be honest justin we know young kids and maybe those who don't have the time to buy a nice computer to get on sim racing to race on iRacing and r factor maybe don't prefer racing gt cars in assetto corsa but they love NASCAR, and they love IndyCar, but they want to have a console okay. game for um, them. And, you know, you know, know these people want to have their own domain to where they can go and race. And right now, they don't have that avenue unless they go back in time to, like you said, 2003, okay. 2004, 2005, maybe even 1990s even. And I think that's one of the major things Formula 1 has advantage on because today's modern-day... Formula 1 video games are very popular. Remember watching those growing up? Rather, watching those in my late, late teens to early 20s, thinking this game's amazing, especially the presentation of it, as well as the gameplay aspect on how drivers could handle it. It still has its flaws, don't get me wrong, but you also see a large youth movement in the United States, for example, for the viewership. I don't think it's just video games, obviously. But it's a huge part that when you think about it, it makes sense. You can't go out and race a race car you, unless you want to have a police chase down the highway. Please do not do that, young fans. In all seriousness, if you want to race, you're picking up a controller or a steering wheel. And it's a bigger sell to say, hey, here is a $60 or $80, depending on your currency game, I bought you. Have fun with your controller. Even one of the tough selling points on iRacing, in my opinion, is 
how do you attract young fans but also say okay to do this properly you need to buy a wheel that's $500 plus pay a subscription monthly or yearly or every two years that's up to $200 plus pay for every car which in some cases on a series level can be about one to $200 for the series. So that's the difference that you're thinking about right there. The sim versus casual, where the casual might not have that same appetite to pay a thousand plus dollars compared to the hardcore or the sim sign like iRacing. As hard as that is to say. Unfortunately, it is, but with that, we will see what comes to the future of this sim racing world, and hopefully it goes for the better. But with that, Justin, we have already come to a conclusion. Of course, a couple of things if you're interested this week. The BMW M Sim Cup is happening at the Road America Circuit this Sunday, so stay tuned if you want to have the chance to compete in it. By all means, go for it, but if not, you can catch the action on RaceSpot TV. And, of course, more exciting content as the week progresses. We'll make sure to give it to you all here on the iRacers Download. For Justin Prince, I'm Taylor Burris. Thank you for listening to Episode 96 of the iRacers Download.